0: I think back of my family's time living in Canada and I think the single word that comes to mind besides God's faithfulness, besides God's handiwork in our lives, I do think the word resilient has to be part of, uh, that, that may be the overarching word that describes our time in Canada, right? So I remember there we were, we, we, were, we had just purchased a van from a church member and within six months it had become the lemon that we hoped it would not be, and it became a giant money pit. And so living in another country, we did not have a credit estab- established long enough to... to um, have uh, the, the type of, of benefits that we have here and, and not having enough money saved up for a new-to-us vehicle, uh, I remember that we applied to like 15 credit agencies for a car loan and only one would approve us and it was at like a 24% interest rate. And I was like, well that's more than what my interest rate is on a, my American credit card. Uh, and everyone knows that you don't buy a car on a credit card, right? Uh, But it wasn't just the credit card, actually. Every aspect of cars and insurance and where we laid our head down at night and our bank accounts and our credit cards and our health insurance and, and all these things were ten times more difficult living in another country. And in our passage this morning, we see lots of hoops that Joseph and his family have to jump through, and and he does it faithfully trusting God. How might it speak to us in trusting God's plans? Well, that's what our hope to find out together is all about. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, that is perfectly okay. Inside our bulletin, in our sermon notes, we have the passage that we're going to be looking at. And so you're able to look at the very single thing that we're going to be spending time together doing. And we do this every single Sunday, not because we think that I'm the smartest person in the room, because we know that's not true. But we, we spend time looking at God's Word each Sunday because we live by every word that comes from God. And, and we believe that God's word, being attended to with God's spirit, actually does something in our lives that is transformative. And so we want to be able to hear from God by opening up his word. And so we are going through the, the birth of Jesus and, 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 and connecting that. Uh, so often in Christmas, it's, it's amputated from the rest of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're trying to make sure that's not amputated. We want to look at how uh, Jesus' birth is connected to the rest of what Matthew's writing about. Uh, and so we are finishing up uh, this section The end of chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 19. Uh, Let me pray for our time in God's Word, and then we're going to dig right in. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning through Matthew chapter 2, you would help us to trust you, you would help us to trust your plans, and that we would continue to live faithful lives as a result of seeing your trustworthy plans. And so, Lord, would your Spirit do a good work through, through your word and in us today. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, even though we only have five verses to go through, I really want to give you a, a, a roadmap of what's happening here, okay? That if, if nothing else happens, if you get a call and you have to leave the service early, here's what we want you to walk away with today. We want you to be able to take heart in times of danger because despite danger, the despised Son of God lives. So we want you to take heart in times of danger because despite danger, the despised Son of God lives. And that is important for our lives. And so what we want to do is we want to to look at Matthew 2 and and how that plays out in our lives. So so let me read to us beginning in in verse 19 uh, exactly what Matthew records. Here's what he says. he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, let's look at this death and life. You know, I wonder how far you are willing to go to get something. Right? People use the phrase, I'd move heaven and earth in order to get this or in order to, to get that. Often, I think, people think of God and his plans too uh, short-sightedly, actually. Right? I, I like to play chess. I, I like chess, and I lose a whole bunch of times, uh, but I've realized that the games that I win are the games that I can see three or four moves ahead, not just the immediate. I'll move my knight over here to to make it look like I've overstepped, but only because what I really want is your queen, okay? And so often I think that God is playing a very complicated game of chess in order for his will to come about. And so God needed to protect his people from an upcoming famine, And so um, many years earlier, God sent this guy named Joseph. Not not Joseph in our passage. This is in the book of Genesis. He sent Joseph to Egypt to pave that path, only it was in the form of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. And yet as Joseph looks at it in Genesis chapter 50, he says this. He, He explains that it was God's plan. He says, speaking to his brothers, Uh, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so God has done this again through Jesus. Uh, Consider the, the geographical movements of Jesus from his birthplace in Bethlehem, fleeing to Egypt. Uh, back to uh, Judea and on to Galilee, where he is established in this village which was given to him the title Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus isn't racking up frequent flyer travel miles, uh, but, but through these dreams from God to Joseph, God is intervening to protect his beloved son. God is intervening to protect his beloved son, with whom the Father is well pleased. Jesus is God in the flesh, God with us, as we've already been singing about, Emmanuel, the the son of God out of Egypt, whom he has called. And these changes in location, they're they're not haphazard, they're, they're not random, they're directed by God and have been foreshadowed by scripture. It's interesting how each geographic location is significant, right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem because it was to fulfill what the prophet spoke about Bethlehem. Jesus' family fled to Egypt to fulfill what the Lord had spoken about, God's true son coming out of Egypt. In Matthew chapter 4, if we were to keep reading, Jesus later moves from Nazareth, and then lived in Capernaum in the territory of Zebulun to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah for the kingdom of God. And so I think we should take from that that the entire life of Jesus, including his birth, including each location that he lived, it wasn't random, but it was to make every promise of God fulfilled in Jesus himself. The Lord's means uh what was the lord's means to protect the son it was an angel of the lord who appeared again to joseph right god's uh this god's intervention is is all over the birth of jesus and the way that matthew writes this it it describes this angelic presence in the dream to joseph almost as an unexpected development Okay, it's not as if this was a regular thing in Joseph's life throughout his life. It's an unexpected development that the angel of the Lord would come to Joseph in another dream. And what was the message that was brought to Joseph? Herod is dead. Go back to the land of Israel because Herod is dead. Friends, do you realize what happened? Herod died and Jesus died didn't Uh, that's surprising when we know that herod was seeking jesus's death herod's death took place in 4 bc it's ironic that herod's attempt to murder jesus was the occasion of them fleeing to egypt and that it was herod's death not jesus's that was the occasion for jesus to return to israel the terror of herod was real the terror of herod it was scary but the terror of herod was temporary even in all the horrific evil that herod did it was herod who died not jesus god's plan was not abolished stopped or changed you know it's something that is true of all sports is that they all have a countdown timer don't they When that buzzer goes off, when the ref blows his whistle, the game is over. And it's oftentimes in those final couple minutes of the game that coaches really push their players, right? The players dig down deep to give everything that they've got because once the final whistle is blown, it's over. Once the time clock goes to zero, the game is over. And it's in those final few moments that desperation is seen, that passion is displayed, and ultimately, someone's dreams are crushed. It's important to see that evil has a time clock, too. Brothers and sisters, evil has a time clock. Let that sink into our minds for a minute. You know, when Jennifer was pregnant with our firstborn, uh, we went to these... Uh, Bradley Method birthing classes. And while that is a story in and of itself of, of the, some of the things, I'll give you just one of them. It was weird. Um, there was one week that Jennifer was not able to go, but they were like, oh, dads, you need to go to these birthing classes too just you know to to support the mom. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. And of all the weeks that I went without Jennifer, it was the week that our teacher was encouraging us to take the placenta to turn it into pills and to eat it. And I was like, this is, this is beyond me at this point. No offense to anyone that likes that. I hear it's supposed to be helpful. But so, so, so we're at this birthing, I'm taking these birthing classes with Jennifer because I'm being a supportive husband. And like, uh, uh, one of the great things that came out of this was that this lady was reminding all the pregnant moms That women's bodies were made to give birth, and that the contractions are hard, but they are short, and that they can get through each one. Friends, evil is real, and it is hard, but it has a time clock. And we see it in the reality that Herod is dead, that he died, and Jesus stayed alive. And so, when we have been sinned against, when we are convinced that things are never going to change in our circumstances, we are actually believing a lie and forgetting the temporary position of evil. It doesn't last, even if it lasts longer than we wish it would. In fact, I'm convinced that we respond in anger towards others. We are demeaning towards others. We are short with others because we are convinced that our time is short and is shorter than evil's time and therefore we must do whatever it takes to survive even if it means being gracious is being thrown out the window. As much as I may even get this wrong sometimes in my own life, responding sinfully instead of responding faithfully, patient, shows a lack of our context of time. It shows that we are believing the lie that evil will last longer than the faithfulness of God. But friends, evil has a time clock. I find that patient people are actually often the most trusting of God's timing and God's plan. So would others describe you, brothers and sisters, as patient? Do you dismiss patience as evidence of God at work in you? Would you rather be right than patient? You know, it's interesting that of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, being right isn't on that list, but being patient is. It's remarkable that Paul, even in his letter to the church at Corinth, and all of their messed up ways, was able to recognize God's work in them, and was able to be thankful for them. Friends, evil has a time clock, and we see it in the first four words of verse 19 of our passage. But when Herod died, and because evil has a time clock, As Christians, we have been indwelled by the Spirit of God. We can therefore then trust the plans of God and endure even when people do us wrong. We can endure with patience. Friends, if you struggle with being patient like I often do, remember that sin has a countdown timer, but God does not. In fact, if you were ever to doubt God's plans, it's so clear in our passage this morning that God protects his beloved. We can trust the plans of God. Uh, At Christmas time, you know, what sorts of promises of God should we be on our minds that we should be trusting and that we should be remembering? Well, I just made a few of the list of things I think are great during Christmas time. For us to trust the plans of God, what plans are we trusting in? Here's just some of them. Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave you or forsake you. <clears throat> God is with us. That, that's been the entire Advent series that we've been talking about, the wonderful promise of God at Christmas. And so when we think of God coming in the flesh at Christmas, we prepare then also for Jesus' second Advent, for his second coming, his return. And Jesus will come again for us, is one of his promises in John 15. Remember the promise of God in Matthew 20, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We should remember that the coming of Jesus is the pinnacle of God's plans. That it started all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent on the cross that he has defeated. We should be remembering that at Christmas time. The promise of forgiveness by faith. The promise of our resurrected bodies. The promise that the gates of hell will never prevail against Jesus' church. And the promise that Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. So what do we do when Christians die? Or are killed or martyred? Or uh, the, the pastor whose house got burned down by the angry Hindu mob? What do we do when victory doesn't look like victory, but instead that evil has won? Well, friends, we have to remember that evil has not won. Evil has a time clock. And so therefore, Christians, we should be hopeful. We should be filled with hope. Right, what's that Christmas song? A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Not because life is easy, but because Jesus has come to rescue. And evil didn't get him. Herod died, not Jesus. So when you are ready to doubt God's good promises, look to the proof of God's love, which is the sending of Jesus. Trusting God doesn't mean there's nothing to worry about. Many times there are things, there are real things in this life that are threatening. But that's also why God promised to provide peace that passes all understanding. So cast your fears on God. He will care for you. Trust God's good promises. Friends, we need to take heart in times of danger because despite the danger, the despised son of God lives. Let's look at this second part. Verses 21 to 23. This living and despised whenever i uh, 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 i I'll, I'll just be really honest with you guys in my entire christian life and experience i have never had an angelic messenger in my dreams not one and while i've never had an angelic messenger in my dreams it it, it almost seems commonplace in joseph's life at this point by now joseph's pattern of immediate response to these angelic instructions, his obedience is expected. He did it in chapter 1, verse 24, and he did it again in chapter 2, verse 14 already. And so we see in verse 21 that Joseph continued to obey. Each dream, Joseph listened, Joseph obeyed, and the result is that he protected his family. I think there's something instructive here for us this morning. Parents, protect your family. Obey the Lord. Notice Joseph's wonderful example of parenting. How many times did he have to move his family? Okay, he's persevering through all of this. He's trusting in the Lord. He's humbly submitting to God. His love for Mary, his love for Jesus, his desire to sacrifice for those whom he loved, his ability to shield his family, it's commendable, and we should take note of that. Parents, your job as a parent is to faithfully follow the Lord, to protect your family, to provide for your family, and to trust God with the result. Joseph didn't go to Egypt because, you know, he had connections there, but because he followed the Lord. Joseph had connections back in Bethlehem, which is where they were headed back to, but then changed to Nazareth because he was warned in a dream in verse 22. So parents, how do you model using godly wisdom for the sake of your family? Parents, in your parenting, be wise in the stewardship of your children. Demonstrate your faith, not by how high you raise your hand on Sunday mornings, but by the way you follow Jesus day in and day out. Joseph's plan was to settle back in Bethlehem, but changed his plans when he learned that Herod's son Archelaus ruled over Judea. So, so apparently, Herod had made a late change in his will. He had appointed Archelaus to be successor as king, but Caesar Augustus apparently appointed Archelaus only as governor of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea, the southern part, but not king. Archelaus proved actually to be worse than his father. And in uh, 6 AD, he was replaced, he was removed from his office, and he was replaced by a Roman prefect. But Galilee, uh, ruled by Archelaus' half-brother, Herod Antipas, uh, was likely, uh, in, in Joseph's mind, a safer place for the upbringing of the Messiah in this unknown little town of Bethlehem. Matthew says... In our passage in verse 23, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. But brothers and sisters, we, there is a few complications here. First is that there is no biblical text to refer to Jesus as a Nazarene, and Jesus never took the Nazarite vow from Numbers chapter 6 in the Old Testament. In fact, no passage explicitly says he shall be called a Nazarene. So what do we do with what Matthew writes? Uh, There's a number of theories. Here's what I think is most helpful. Uh, The formula that that Matthew has been using to quote the Old Testament prophets all the way through um, so far up to this point in, in the Gospel of Matthew, this formula that he's using in our section here is different than the regular pattern in a really important way okay so if you look at your passage each of the other quotations speaks of a prophet singular but our passage in verse 23 speaks of prophets plural okay so matthew is alluding to the general teaching of the prophets about the messiah nazareth was an obscure village. Whoever heard of a king who had any kind of importance being born in a humble village and growing up in a despised city? Do you remember when Jesus was calling the 12 disciples in our scripture reading earlier? Jesus called Philip to follow him, and then Philip went to Nathaniel. and in John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you guys remember Nathanael's response to him? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip's response is, come and see. Nazareth was an embarrassment and so was coming from it. Right, so when we lived in Windsor, Ontario, all the Canadians described Windsor like this. It's the armpit of Canada. Literally, that, that's what they called it. They called it the armpit of Canada. And the University of Windsor, which is like the most international university in North America, was inter- so international because all international students wanted to come to a, to a university that was easy to get into in Canada and none of the Canadians wanted to go there because it was a terrible university, okay? So, so Windsor was the armpit of Canada, and I, th- I, I feel like it'd be very much like Nazareth, okay? Nazareth was a place of embarrassment, and so was coming from it. The reaction from other Jews to hear that the Messiah might be from Galilee in John chapter seven, they're appalled by that. Everyone knew that the Messiah was to come from the Judean village of Bethlehem. So how could Jesus of Nazareth be taken seriously? Well, remember, Jesus indeed was born in Bethlehem, as the scriptures required. But with divinely guided and scripturally justified movements, he found his way to Galilee, so that the Messiah could, after all, be called Nazarene. Friends, Nazarene is a picture of being despised and rejected by men. And this is important because of the things we see about Jesus, that he would be humble and despised, Right? right? Think of Isaiah 53 and the description of the Messiah. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted friends the hu- the humility of king jesus is actually something to admire and to imitate as paul says in philippians 2 oh, remember what psalm 22 describes about the messiah but i am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Friends, even Isaiah 49 describes the Messiah as one deeply despised and abhorred by the nation. Jesus came to earth. Humble, born in a stable, laid in a manger, not in a palace, born to a young unwed mother. He had to flee for his life. Jesus was despised from even his humble birth and it continued in his humble upbringing all the way to the cross. The wonderful God-sent Messiah is alive, and despised. Matthew chapter 1 ends with us finding out that the Messiah is God with us, God in the flesh. And Matthew 2 ends with Jesus being recognized for the type of mission that he would carry, one of humble service, of humble service and rejection. Jesus was despised and rejected for. Our sake. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, and you're like, I wanted to sing Christmas songs, and I wanted to feel welcomed, and I wasn't ready for something like this. We're so delighted you're here. We think there's no better place for you to be than right here. The way to begin the week by by being here, thinking about God. I wonder when you think of a ruler or a king. I wonder if humility is a characteristic that's important to you. Jesus came not to be served like all the other rulers, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for us. See, the reality is that every person has incurred a debt against God because we have rebelled against him. The Bible calls our debt sin, sin. And so uh, Jesus has come to serve by taking the penalty of our sin, by going to the cross and dying for our debts, our sin. But because Jesus is the Messiah, is God with us, he defeated sin, defeating death. He rose victoriously from the dead and he calls us to turn from our rebellion against him to then join him and his followers in living out the kingdom of God in our very lives. He promises that for all who do, we will be with him one day forever. And Jesus, ironically, the one who Herod tried to kill, the one who willingly gave his life up on the cross, then defeated death, and he is the only king whose throne is forever. It will never end. Every other ruler or leader will cease to be the ruler except Jesus. So if you're not a Christian this morning, won't you come and find forgiveness from Jesus? Won't you see the humble love that Jesus has displayed from his humble beginnings all the way to the giving of himself on the cross? Jesus promises victory despite evil, and he promises a glorious future with him. Friends, brothers and sisters, we need to see this humble love as displayed in the Messiah. In fact, this humble love from King Jesus isn't something only to receive, it is something to emulate towards one another as we gather as a body of Christ, as the family of God. Right There is no family that stays healthy with unresolved conflict or people refusing to reconcile. Christ removed our separation from the Father. And from that, he calls us to live reconciled lives to one another. And the greatest way to know that we have been reconciled through the love of Jesus to the Father is by living lives reconciled with one another. See, it's not just enough to say that Jesus displayed humble love towards us. He actually calls all those who have received his humble love to then live that out in relationships with one another. So brothers and sisters, the greatest way to know that we have received God's reconciling love of Jesus in our lives is to live reconciled lives with one another so how do you resolve conflict do you actively seek reconciliation or avoid it hoping that it will just go away how can we patiently suffer alongside one another enduring one another's faults knowing that there will be a day that sin has so angered us will be no more Friends, let humble love not just be a core value of Friendship Baptist Church, but the very value that we individually seek to live out towards one another as a body. Friends, we can take heart in times of danger. Because despite danger, the despised Son of God lives. You know, the disciples themselves asked, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Our answer may be, well, maybe the only good thing that came out of Nazareth was the Messiah who was despised. By his own, he went to the cross to rescue all who've been scattered. What great confidence we can have in the promises of God, in the plans of God, Because evil has a time clock, but God does not. And God's plans that might look backwards or may not look like victory immediately, God promises victorious victory for all who are in Christ Jesus. What a reason to celebrate Christmas. What a reason to celebrate that God has come with us in the flesh, that God is with us in Emmanuel. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for God's rescue plan. Let's spend a few moments responding to God's word this morning. You are welcome to come to to the front and pray. You're welcome to respond right where you're at in your seats. But let us not be hearers only and then leave unchanged. Let us be changed by God's word, by his spirit. Let's respond to God this morning asking, what does it look like for us to trust the promises of God in a bigger way this week. And then I'll close us in prayer and the praise team will lead us in another song. Heavenly Father, how good are your promises. How wonderful that all of your promises from the Old Testament have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That that all of your promises find their yes and amen in King Jesus. And God, how short-sighted we are when we quickly forget that we can trust you every turn of the way how quickly and foolishly we forget that in every hardship, Lord, you are reigning as king and we can trust you, not just with the outcome, but even in the moment of that pain. And so Lord, would you help us whether we are struggling with relationships in family, extended relationships with the holiday, whether it's troubles at work, relationships with a tough boss, whether we have just broken off an engagement, whether we are dealing with the death of a loved one, Lord, whatever hardship we are feeling, Lord, may we trust you. May we trust you with all that we are. Trust that your plans are good and that you are faithful and that whatever evil we encounter, Lord, has a time clock. Help us to trust you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand.